I don't know if you know the story behind that song, but it helps it have even fuller meaning when you really understand uh, what is behind it. But it was written by H.G. Spafford, and uh, he was um, successful, had come over from England, he and his family, and it was successful business in Chicago. Uh, the great Chicago fire of history uh, totally wiped out his business. and. His family had been on holiday, and he had been back, uh, he was still with the business, and all of the, the business was lost, his life was saved. But his family was coming over uh, back from holiday from England, and uh, their ship struck an iceberg, and uh, all, uh, nearly every life uh, on board was lost. And so, H.G. Uh, Spafford boards a ship to go back to England to take care of uh, funeral services, memorial uh, and uh, affairs back home. And it is uh, at a particular point when they're on their voyage back that the captain of the ship points out to him the place where uh, the ship with his family and his children had struck an iceberg and was sunk. And it is standing on the edge of that and looking out over these waters that he writes this song. When peace, like a river, tendeth my soul. And when you know the uh, story behind it, you, you marvel even more at how in the world can you know a peace in the midst of such great sorrow. And that is what we want to talk about today. Uh, how can we anchor in a peace in the midst of such great sorrow and troubles that are, surround us all the time, there are various issues in our lives. We never really know peace on this earth outside of a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There are always anxious moments and big and little crises and situations that are going on. Uh, in Phoenix, I brought a message uh, several years ago about the tyranny of the urgent. We're all driven by a sense of, of urgency. This must get done, that must get done. The checklist for the week and troubled when we get to the end of the week and we had less week than we had troubles and urgencies and issues that seem to drive us on and on and on. <clears throat> and what Paul is talking about here to the Ephesians is how to live a different life, how to anchor in uh, the Prince of Peace. And so we're beginning our, our reading today, if you have your, your Bibles with you, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and we'll read through verse 22. I ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. The title of the message today is The Walk, the Prince of Peace. Beginning at verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, in, uh, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself a new man 
in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, asking that you would open our hearts and minds today to what you want to say to us. But I also want to pray in advance for those who are here today uh, on campus or listening online, whose spirits are deeply troubled, who, are, who do not have the peace that you want them to have in their life, and that they might find that as they embrace what you teach us today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. If you were to visit the official John Lennon website, you would see the picture of him seated at the White Baby Grand. I think we have that uh, picture, too, where he recorded the song Imagine. And it's iconic, and there are probably two songs that uh, have driven generations uh, in terms of philosophical thought. Um, old Blue Eyes sing, I did it my way, and uh, that, was, that was one that has driven us generationally. And then, of course, uh, Imagine, which we'll take a closer look at uh, by John Lennon in just a moment. But on that site, uh, in addition to seeing uh, that picture that there, you, you have an opportunity to purchase a white t-shirt with the inscriptions uh, in black lettering, War is Over. It's interesting to note that that shirt is available in 100 different languages. It's been 41 years since uh, John Lennon was murdered outside the Dakota building in New York City. And what he had hoped for, and what so many had hoped for, has not happened. In fact, the world has become, I think, more divided and, and more violent uh, with each passing year. His song, Imagine, has become the poetic idealism of generations who are weary of the strife that we face on a day-to-day -day basis. And he recorded in that these words, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say, I am a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. 
Humanity has, uh, I think it's expressed in this song, John Lennon's song, uh, humanity has longed for peace from the beginning of the first conflict. Suffering uh, is always the result of conflicts. There is suffering on all sides. And uh, humanity has longed for peace. Suffering leads to, to violence. It leads to murder. And we're all too familiar with, with the, uh, the violence, the crises, and things that are around us on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, we lock our doors. We lock our cars. We're, we pray over them, if you're like me, when you walk away. Uh, I can remember going to, to Hollywood. I had uh, one of my professors with me that wanted to go to Hollywood. Uh, I had a, a class down there, and, and uh, he uh, had never been. He was from uh, Oral Roberts University, and he had never been to Hollywood. And so he wanted to go. And, and uh, so one of the things I remember about that was, uh, you know, parking somewhere. And there was a guy standing in the parking lot that looked credible, right? And, and uh, you know, he was not charging, but he looked like he was capable of what I was going to ask him to do. And I gave him $25 to watch my car. <laughs> we live in, in, in those kinds of times. And uh, I can remember uh, Dr. Thomas Matthews. He was, he was from India. And uh, so he had uh, never seen anything like this. And we're walking down Hollywood. And as the, the sun is going down, um, for those of you who have, how many of you have actually been to Hollywood in recent times? So you, you know what we're talking about. It's a, it's not what you would see on the movies or, or think. And uh, it gets scarier as the sun is, is going down. And so these people were coming out, you know, hairs like purple and pink and spiked up, you know, and razor blades on their jackets and just, uh, you know, and of course then, then the, the women of the evening and all kinds of things are starting to happen around us. Uh, and his, his interest had been focused primarily on the sidewalk, you know, because there's the names and the handprints and the... The, the you know footprints and things of the great stars. There's John Wayne and you know and so on and so. So he had been looking there and had not been looking here. We had been looking here, right? We were seeing all this and we're, so we're kind of like we probably need to get back to the car. He raises his head up and he looks around and sees the chaos of stuff that's starting to go on. People you know buying and selling drugs and all the stuff that's going on, which he hadn't noticed before. And he says to us, "Fellows, this is no place for a man from India." <laughs> I said, no, I don't think so. And so we went back to the car, and the guy had taken care of our car. We loaded up and, and drove out uh, safely. So uh, we live in a world where we really have a struggle to understand what real peace is all about, what getting along, what loving is all about. Every human idea imagined uh, has been put in play to end conflicts. I think only, you know, we need to explore what's, what's gone on in the Middle East. And there have been so many creative ideas about bringing peace there. And, and yet none of them, uh, all of them have been tried at one level or another and, and to, to one extent or another. And none of them have resulted in peace. And there are, there are, there are large groups of people, though, who think like Lenin, that, uh, like John Lennon, that we may one day have peace, but we must first do away with religion. Religion is uh, a, a, 
a component, they believe, that keeps peace from the planet, that people are disagreeable about various things in religion, and so we must first do away with that. But then the, the, the reality of when we step away and we, we look back and we realize that it wasn't religion that killed one million Jews in German gas chambers and imprisonment. It wasn't religion that uh, millions of Russians sent uh, farmers and common people and business owners to gulags uh, and camps to die, but we recognize that communism was the leading ideological cause of death between 1900 and 2000, that 94 million perished in China and Soviet Union, North Korea, Afghanistan, on and on in Eastern Europe, were killed not because of religion, but often by people who didn't believe in it. And so our culture, though, has adopted really, by and large, two thoughts uh, with respect to religion. And so there are two, two lines of thinking. One is what is proposed by John Lennon in the song Imagine. It is the absence of it will bring peace. Can you imagine no religion? We're just living for today and we can all get along. And then there's the second school of thought in our culture that has always been a pervasive uh, school of thought, and it's brought to you by the Coexist Foundation, and you see it on uh, bumper stickers uh, all across our land uh, where we should just all get along, and it's Coexist written out you know, in all of the emblems of various kinds of religions, and you've seen it and I've seen it. And uh, in that one, they don't believe that it's the abolishing of religion that brings peace. Uh, they believe that it's the blending of religion that will eventually bring peace. You are, after all, all of you are looking to some kind of god or goddess or something like that. And if you'll just all blend this together and we'll all join the church of unity, then we will all be united and we will come together and there will be peace. So two primary schools of thought have always been about religion in our culture. It is get rid of it and we have peace, blend it and we have peace. But the underlying belief behind this kind of thinking is that man has the power, the ability to, to bring peace. Man caused war, man caused strife, man caused difficulty, man caused disagreements, and therefore mankind can uncause those things. Mankind can change it and turn it all back around. And this kind of thinking, though, requires that we are very dismissive of the belief of evil in our world. It certainly requires that uh, for us to, to believe that all men are good, you know, and, and you just have to appeal to the goodness in all mankind, that deep down inside, somewhere anchored in all of mankind is goodness, and the key to finding peace is to anchor into the goodness of all mankind, and then you are going to eventually wind up with peace as a result of that. Can you imagine connecting with the goodness of mankind? And then we can have peace. But it requires that we are dismissive that there is real evil in the world and present in mankind. And therefore, if you appeal, it says, to the goodness in mankind and you remove all the barriers uh, to, you know, what he wants to have conflict with, and it's, it's stated in 
John Lennon's song, if you, re if you remove uh, the value of things, you know, borders and uh, your home and your car, you know, uh, become community property or, or you remove the, the ownership of all these things or the value of those things. And then you also remove all religious disagreements and boom, you get peace. And so Paul must begin by reminding the Ephesians of their former state. He has to remind them of their condition before God and to reveal to them the impossibility of them bringing about peace on their own. And so he says, therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by which, uh, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's depressing news, isn't it? <laughs> Brought to you by Paul. You, in your former life, had no hope. You were without God in this world. But then Paul reminds them of their latter state. What happened after you surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? He said, but now, in Christ, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself in our peace is our peace, who has made us both one and has, and I want you to pay attention to this, these words here, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall. Broken down the wall that divides, that separates. That's the key to bringing peace. Breaking down the wall that divides us. Uh, of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In a world marked by division and enmity, a longing for harmony is commonplace. My favorite poet, Robert Frost, wrote about the section I called your attention to just a moment ago, that wall that divides us. And in a great poem, uh, I don't know how many of you love Robert Frost like I do. He's a great poet and uh, my favorite. And his poem, Mending Wall, uh, he points out in the, the unnatural uh, you know, how the, the, this wall is, that we're building is so unnatural that, that even the earth won't stand for it, right? <laughs> and so listen to uh, how he begins this poem. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends frozen ground swell under it, and spills upper boulders in the sun, and makes gaps even two can pass a breath. He begins by saying there is something that is, that is in the very DNA of nature that doesn't want division, that wants unity, that wants peace. It's built in uh, to the whole system for which God has created. And when we try to go against it, nature even rebels. And, and that in the, the freezing and the ground swelling, that these stone walls that we have built spill the boulders. 
in such a way that it requires a constant mending of these fences if we're going to keep them in place. Later in the poem, he describes the effort to keep that wall in place after the earth has itself tried to knock it down. And he says, I'll let my neighbor know beyond the hill. And on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go to each the boulders that have fallen to each. I think... uh, He really sums it up towards the end when he laments uh, about this wall, but he he wonders about it earlier in the poem in a section that I'm I'm not going to quote to you about. You know, he has uh, apple trees and his neighbor has pine trees and uh, we don't have cattle. And why is it that we would put a wall here? Because I dare think my apples will not sneak over and eat the pine cones that have fallen to the ground and your pine cones will not come over and eat my apples. And so why is it that we naturally uh, go about and put this wall in place? And his neighbor quotes the, the, uh, from his father and generations of belief that, that good fences make, you can say it with me, good neighbors, right? Good fences make good neighbors. Near the close of the poem, he Uh, Frost laments the wall that's dividing with no purpose, and he really says what all of us want to say about the divisions that are around us. And he says this, he says, Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give offense. It is our sins that have laid the stones on every wall. We convince ourselves that we're, we're not hiding from our neighbor, but protecting what belongs to us. And Paul points out in this passage that it is not what belongs to us, but rather that we belong to Christ that is the key to bringing peace into our life. It is not how high our walls are. It is not how we protect themselves, but real peace comes from who we belong to, not what belongs to us. And so Paul points out in verse 14, for he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace. In verse 15, he says, Jesus is making peace. And then in verse 16, he says, Jesus came and he preached peace. This kind of peace is unknown in our world as outside of fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. It is a kind of peace that we are not at times comfortable with because it is a revolutionary kind of peace. It's a kind of of a revolution that can unite people who come from completely different environmental upbringings. It can unite them and bring them together. But it's a radical kind of revolution of, of peace that's brought about through surrendered relationship to God through Jesus Christ. It is empowering God in our lives to be the Prince of Peace that He is. It can make two one. You can do marvelous things in couples' relationships, and in, in, in marriage relationships. It can unite the two as one. And so then, you are no longer strangers, he says, and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus uh, himself being the cornerstone in whom the the whole structure being joined together 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. This peace revolution is to build us together so that we can be a dwelling place for God. And, and the building of the community of peace that is so united around their relationship with the Prince of Peace that all of the gospel is taken to all of humanity because they're marveling at the peace that resides in us as H.G. Spafford penned the words to that great song. How can you have peace? Why aren't you angry with God for taking your family? How can you write such a song that says, it is well with your soul in the midst of such great sorrow and grief? Because it's not what belongs to me, but it's who I belong to that brings all of the peace into my life. It was Jesus who has broken down the wall of sin. In him, we are united for mission. The closing line of, of Robert Frost's poem describes the nature of sin. I alluded to it a moment ago. He's talking about his neighbor, and he said, He will not go behind his father's saying, but prevents our world from having peace. They will not go behind their father saying. And who is their father? The, they are the children of disobedience, the children who rejected God. They will not go behind Satan's back and do something other than what he is leading and directing the world. And he likes having, talking with his neighbor again, he likes having thought of it so well that he repeats it again. He says it again. Good fences make good neighbors. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. And yet our world historically does the same thing over and over and over again and expects this time it will be different. This time we can, we can reintroduce socialism. This time we can reintroduce communism. This time we can reintroduce uh, power structures. And it will be better because we're smarter. But we just repeat the works of their previous fathers. We will not go behind their back. Good fences make good neighbors. The children of disobedience will not go behind their father's sayings. And it's leading us somewhere. It's leading us somewhere. The, the world will not find peace of its own accord. It's setting up the world for the entrance of the Antichrist, according to Scripture. In fact, the biblical prophecy uh, talks about how there will be an illusion of peace that will be put forth by one man, the Antichrist, in the end. And so longing for peace is our world, our world globally, that they will listen to this one man and unite in step, and we will become one world government. The stage is being set. It has been. We're seeing signs in our time. We're hearing the language. I remember being shocked not long ago at hearing that very statement from the Australian government leaders saying, this is the way it is. This is the way it is with the world. We will have one idea, one thought, one 
program going forward as a result of all of this. It is the setting of the stage for the entrance of the Antichrist who will propose that we can have peace if we set aside our disagreements religion. We will have peace if we set aside our ownership and our values. If we all come to the table and bring these things and lay them down, we will have peace. And the Antichrist will propose that kind of peace and so long for and so hope for in humanity, the Bible teaches us that mankind will surrender. Because just the hint of a man who can bring it uh, about will cause so many to bow unknowingly to Satan, but to the systems that the world begins to set up. The result will be complete chaos and war. And that war will be taken to a level where the Bible teaches us in the book of Revelations it will be a war against God, to which it will be a very short war. And at the end of that war, the Bible tells us that the true Prince of Peace will set up his kingdom on the planet. And those who have known no peace for 1,000 years will know what peace is really all about. Those who are willing to take the substitute of no conflicts here or there as peace. Those who are willing to uh, abdicate their values and give up things that they treasured and thought were precious to them so that they could just have a little bit more of something else that they wanted or thought they needed. Well, for the first time in their lives, stand on the planet and sense peace. You won't lock your cars. You won't pay the guy on Hollywood $25 to watch your car. You won't worry about getting knifed in a dark alley or shot uh, in broad daylight. You won't worry about gang violence. All will be peace for 1,000 years on the earth. The only peace that we can have is found in the Prince of Peace. I'm inviting a worship team to come back. As a church, we, we live in it. We, we model it. We provide room for all of those who want a surrendered walk with Jesus Christ. We show on a daily basis what the peace is like. Paul said, before you came to Christ, you had no peace, and your, your life, you were without hope. But now that you've come to Christ, you're, you're preaching peace. The very way of your life is you're preaching the Prince of Peace. You're, you're carrying your, your, the way you carry yourself through crisis and difficulty and challenges. The way you unite together as, a, as the body of Christ and come around uh, one another and love one another. It is something the world has never seen and known. The way you can lay your head down on your pillow at night and go to sleep in the midst of great crisis, worry, uh, financial crisis, whatever it might be. And you can rest because you know your source is God. And he will take care of you and he will watch over you. And you know what Paul knew and expressed. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So God, if my time's up, if this is the number of my days, to be absent from this body is to be present with you. And that's okay. As a church, we live it, we model it, we, we show others. But I'm talking to some people today, both online and on campus, that perhaps you are in a place where you're not sensing that peace, you're not feeling the peace. You want to be anchored in it. You want to know that you are in the, the, this, 
the stream of peace that God wants to provide for your life. You're tired of, of being sick and tired. You're, you're tired of the chaos and, and, and things that are going on around you. You've shouted at social media. You've shouted it out uh, in, in your minds and your hearts. You've tried to think through philosophical arguments to uh, talk to a loved one, a friend who seems to be going astray and, and you're worn out, you're tired. And you're saying, I need to be anchored in the peace of God. I need to know that I'm secure in Him and He is gonna walk with me through every situation. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. Let's stand together. I wanna invite those of you who, who sense that and feel that this is the moment for you to not only stand, but to come forward, to stand in the front. I wanna pray with you and agree with you this morning that the peace that God has for your life is, is beginning today with a surrendered walk with Him. You're allowing Him, God, to take all of the concerns, all the stress. He said, bring every heavy yoke, every burden to me, lay it on me, I can take it. My yoke I'll give you, which is easy, and my burden I'll give you, which is light. And I'll take that which is heavy for you. I'll take your cares. There are others that want to come right now as we prepare to, to worship the Lord in song and say, Pastor, pray with me, agree with me this morning that God will bring peace, the kind of peace that can transform my life and bring a sense of serenity. I'm tired of the chaos. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the things that have been weighing me down. I'm ready. I'm ready to fully surrender and make you Prince of Peace over my life, Lord and leader over my life. Thank you, Jesus. We extend your hands towards those who've come forward as we pray together this morning.